Chapter 8 Badman is Bankrupt and Gets a Lot of Money Wiseman continued, I will tell you, he had an art for breaking to get hats full of money. But what do you mean by Mr. Badman's breaking? You're speaking rather mystically, aren't you? No, no, attentive, I speak plainly. But if you want it in plainer language, it is this. When Mr. Badman had shown off and spent most of his wife's inheritance on prostitutes, he began to feel like he couldn't stand on his own much longer and continue in this way of life and keep up his trade and reputation in the world, except by the new means of breaking. For this reason, when the time was right, he made a great and sudden rush into several men's debts to the value of about four or five thousand dollars. At the same time, he greatly boosted his trade by selling many things for less than they cost him to get him business. With these tactics, he blinded the eyes of his creditors to his true situation. As a result, his creditors saw he had a great trade and figured that over time it could turn into a very good account for them. And so they freely trusted him, and so did others, because they saw the facade of value he had created. When Mr. Badman had well feathered his nest with other men's goods and money, after a little time he made a break, and before long the news spread that Mr. Badman shut up shop, was gone, and was no longer in business. By the time his creditors heard that he had made a break, he had cunningly taken steps to protect what he had and to make it impossible for his creditors to touch a penny. Once he had all this in place, he sent out somber letters sprinkled with sweet words to his creditors. These letters let them know what had happened to him, and that he desired that they not be critical in regards to him, because his intentions were honest towards all men. His letters suggested that he would pay back what he owed so far as he was able. He sent his letters by a man, an ally in league with him, who could make both the worst and best of Mr. Badman's case. The best for Mr. Badman, and the worst for his creditors. So when he came to these creditors, he complained to them about Mr. Badman's situation, but also showed that he too was unhappy about it. He told them that unless matters were brought to a speedy conclusion, there would be no hope of Mr. Badman satisfying his debt to them. But at present, he both could and would do all in his power to make things right, and to that end, he desired to come meet with them. So his creditors appointed a time for him to come meet with them, and meanwhile he authorized another person to negotiate and settle with them, because he wouldn't be seen by them unless it was on a Sunday, for fear they would serve him with a warrant. As a result, his delegated friend negotiated with them about their concern with Mr. Badman. First he told them about the great care Mr. Badman would take to satisfy them and everyone to whom he owed anything, as far as his abilities allowed, and how he expected to be in this low condition for just a short time. He also explained the magnitude of the charge against him and how it resulted from high taxes, the bad financial times, and that he suffered great losses with many of his customers. Some had died in his debt. Others had run away. 
and for many who were alive, he never expected a penny from them. The man explained that while this was true, Mr. Badman still intended to show himself an honest man and pay as much as he was able. And if they were willing to come to terms, he would draw up a mutual agreement with them regarding terms or conditions for the settlement, because he wasn't able to pay them all. The creditors asked, What will he give? He said, Ten cents on the dollar. At this they began to huff, and he renewed his complaint and petition. But the creditors wouldn't listen, and so at that time their meeting broke up without success. But after his creditors had a chance to cool down, they had second thoughts and admitted that they feared delays could cause them to lose everything, and so they agreed to a second discussion. They came together again, and with many words and great argument, they obtained sixteen pennies on the dollar. So the money was produced, releases and discharges were drawn up, signed and sealed, debts were crossed off the books, and everything was confirmed. With this fraudulent bankruptcy accomplished, Mr. Badman could show his face out in public again, and was better off by several thousand dollars than when he shut up his shop. And did he actually do this? Yes, I think he did this two or three times. And did he do it before he needed to do it? Need? What do you mean by need? There was no need at any time for this man to play the role of a false, deceitful fellow. He did it from a wicked mind, to purposely defraud and deceive his creditors. He had funds to live on from his father and also through his wife, along with legitimate work like any other honest man. When he made this wicked break, even though he had been a prolific and wasteful spender, he also had the means to pay his creditors what he owed them down to the last cent. But he did all of this with a dishonest outlook and with a wicked goal. Namely, he knew he had the ability to pay, but chose to continue to drink and keep the company of harlots and to live in full swing of his lusts, just like he did before. Why, this was a clear cheat. It certainly was. This way of breaking is nothing less than a neater way of thieving, of picking pockets, of breaking into shops, and of taking from others what does not belong to them. But while it seems easy, it's hard to learn. No one who has a conscience toward God or man can ever become a master in this hellish skill. What a wicked man this bad man was. Yes, a wicked man indeed. Using this talent, he saw ways to make men send their goods to his shop and make them glad to take a penny for that which he had promised four pennies before they were delivered. I say he could make them glad to take five pennies for a dollar's worth and a thousand for that which he had promised to give them four thousand dollars. This maintains that Mr. Badman had very little conscience. This says he had no conscience at all, because conscience... Even the least spark of a good conscience can't endure this behavior. Before we go any further in matters regarding Mr. Badman, let me ask you, if you please, to give me an answer to these two questions. First, what do you find in the word of God against such a practice as we've discussed 
regarding this Mr. Badman? And second, what would you have a man to do who is in his creditor's debt and can't pay what he owes him and who can no longer stay in business? I will answer you as well as I can. As to the first question, this is what I find in the Word of God against such a practice as Mr. Badman's. The Word of God forbids this wickedness. To make it even more odious in our eyes, it joins it with theft and robbery. Thou shalt not, says God, defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. Leviticus 19 verse 13 It says, Thou shalt not defraud, which means to deceive or delude. In this way, to break is to defraud, deceive, and delude, which is, as you see, forbidden by the God of heaven. Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. It is a kind of theft and robbery to defraud and delude in this way. It is an abhorrent robbing of his shop and picking of his pocket. It's repulsive to reason and conscience and contrary to the law of nature. It is a planned case of wickedness and therefore a double sin. A man can't perform this great wickedness on the spur of the moment or through a violent charge by Satan. The one who commits this sin must have time to deliberate. He needs time to make it a formidable plan, to use resourcefulness, lies, and a high degree of subterfuge. He who commits this wickedness must first hatch the plan on his bed, hammer the details out in his head, and put his strong plot in place. That means it takes many connecting sins to work hand in hand to complete such wickedness. But what does Scripture say? Let no one oppress and defraud his brother in any matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 6 But this kind of breaking goes beyond this. It encompasses my brother, surrounds him so I can catch him in my net. As I said, it's an art and skill to rob my brother and to pick his pocket with his consent. This doesn't lessen the odious offense, but in fact makes it that much greater. For men who are hurt by this stratagem can't help themselves. They're taken in to a deceitful net. But God will involve himself. He will be the avenger of all such people, either here or in the next world. The Apostle Paul testifies again to this when he says, But he that does wrong shall receive the wrong which he has done, now that there is no respect of persons. Colossians 3 verse 25 That means that for anyone, no matter who he is, if he is guilty of this sin of going too far, of deceiving and doing wrong to his brother, God will call him to account for it and will pay him with vengeance for it too, for there is no respect of persons. I might add that this wrongdoing, this sin of going too far and defrauding my neighbor, is like that first malicious act which the devil played with our first parents, like the altar that Uriah built for Ahaz which was fashioned after an altar which stood in Damascus. It was to be an exact replica. And Uriah, the priest, built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Uriah, the priest, made it while King Ahaz returned from Damascus. 2 Kings 16 verse 11 Eve said, The serpent beguiled me. Genesis 3 verse 13 
and Mr. Badman beguiled his creditors. The serpent tricked Eve with lying promises of reward, and in the same way Mr. Badman tricked his creditors. The serpent said one thing and meant another when he charmed Eve, and so did Mr. Badman when he beguiled his creditors. Consequently, the person who deceives and beguiles his neighbor imitates the devil. He takes his examples from him and not from God, the word or good men. And this is what Mr. Badman did. And now to your second question, namely, what I would have a man do who is in his creditor's debt and can't pay him or continue in business any longer. First of all, if this is his situation and he knows it, he shouldn't go into debt to his creditors even one penny more, because that can't be done in good conscience. The person who knows he can't pay and still runs up debt knowingly does wrong and defrauds his neighbor. And he falls under the sentence of the word of God, which says, The wicked borrows and does not repay. Psalm 37 verse 21. And what's worse is that he borrows even when he knows he can't pay it back and also craftily takes what belongs to his neighbor. And so to a person in this situation, the first thing I suggest is not to fall any further into his creditor's debt. Let him then consider how he came to be in such a situation that he can't pay his just debts. Specifically, he needs to look at whether it was by his own carelessness or negligence in his trade, or by a manner of living too high, or the way he dressed, or by lending too lavishly from what he didn't own to his loss, or whether it was by the immediate hand and judgment of God. If he finds that this has come upon him through his own carelessness or negligence in his trade, extravagancies in his family, or the like, then let him work to gain a sense of his sin and wickedness, because he has sinned against the Lord. First, he has sinned in his being idle in business, and not providing by the sweat of his brow, or other honest ways for those of his house, not slothful in earnest care, but fervent to the Spirit, serving the Lord. Romans 12, verse 11. But if any provide not for his own, and specially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith, and is worse than an unbeliever. 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. And secondly, he has sinned by living above his means, or dressing too lavishly, or lending to others what doesn't belong to him. This can't be done with a good conscience. It goes against reason and nature, and as a result, must be considered a sin against God. Consequently, if this debtor has done this, and if he ever hopes to live with integrity, quietly and comfortably in the future, let him humble himself before God and repent of this wickedness. Scripture. He also that is negligent in his work is brother to him that is the great spendthrift. Proverbs 18, verse 9. He who is lazy and a time waster, too, is certainly a double sinner. But again, while such a person looks into these things, he should also ask himself, how did I come into this behavior which has resulted in such an unsuccessful outcome? Is it the way my parents brought me up and put me in an apprenticeship, or is it by providence I was first thrust into my trade, or is it that I've manipulated my situation because I wasn't content with my original lot in life 
which I was cast into by God and my parents. This ought to be appropriately considered, and if a man finds he isn't in the suitable position or business in which he was placed by his parents or the providence of God, and he's failed in a new way through pride and dislike of his first situation, then he's chosen to fail rather than embrace it. The fruit of his pride and the mark of God's judgment is on him for leaving his first situation, and for this he ought to humble himself and be penitent before the Lord. But after all this, if he finds his poverty isn't the result of any of these, and that an honest search reveals he can say with good conscience that he hasn't strayed from where God has placed him, but has lived within God's calling, worked hard, and still fared unsuccessfully, though he dressed reasonably and didn't directly or indirectly make away with his creditor's goods, then his fall came upon him by the immediate hand of God, whether through visible or invisible ways. Sometimes it comes through visible ways, such as by fire, thieves, loss of cattle, or the wickedness of sinful dealers, etc., and sometimes by means invisible. And in those situations, no one knows how it happens. We only see things are happening, but can't see how or why they go in that direction. Anyway, suppose a man is brought to the point that he has nothing left but a morsel of bread by the immediate hand of God. What must he do now? I say his surest way is still to think that it is the result of some sin though possibly not sin in the management of his business, but some other sin. Scripture The Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish, but wickedness shall cast out the wicked. Proverbs 10, verse 3 For that reason, let him still humble himself before his God, because his hand is upon him, and ask, What sin have I committed for which this hand of God is upon me? Scripture Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. 1 Peter 5, verse 6 And let him diligently seek to find it out, for some sin is the cause of this judgment. For God does not afflict nor grieve the sons of men from his heart. Lamentations 3, verse 33 Either the heart is set too much on the world, or walking in faith in God is much neglected in your family or something. There's a snake in the grass, a worm in the gourd. Some sin is within your heart and is the reason God is dealing with you in this way. Thirdly, when this is done, let that man again consider that God may be changing his situation and position in the world. He has let him live in fashion, in fullness, and in abundance of worldly glory, and during these plentiful times he didn't develop good qualities or live to God's glory as he should have, with all such blessings bestowed on him. Instead, when he became full and fat, he rebelled against God. Scripture But Jeshurun, the upright one, waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat, thou art grown thick, thou hast covered thyself, and forsook the God who made him, and lightly esteemed the strong one of his saving health. Deuteronomy 32 verse 15 as a result, God will now turn him to a common life of low rank, full of difficulties, with leanness, hunger, and need. 
He may spend the rest of his days living like this, but let him do so without complaining and feelings of discontent. Instead, let him live in a godly manner, submitting himself to the judgment of God. Scripture Let the brother of low degree rejoice in his high status, and he who is rich in his low status, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. James 1 verses 9 through 10 This is the submission owed to God and can be an opportunity for those who are under this hand of God to encourage them in this hard work, for it is hard work. Consider these four things. 1. It is right to lie down under God's hand, and it's the way to be exalted in God's time. When God wanted Job to embrace the dunghill, he embraced it and said, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job 1 verse 21. Second, consider that there are also blessings that go with lowly external circumstances more than all the world is aware of. A poor condition has preventing mercy with it. The poor, because they are poor, aren't capable of sinning against God like the rich man does. Scripture Those that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches. Psalm 49 verse 6 Third, the poor person can more clearly see himself saved by the providence of God than the rich, for he trusts in the abundance of his riches. And fourth, it may be God has made a person poor because he wants to make them rich. Scripture Hearken, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world, that they might be rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those that love him? James 2 verse 5 I am persuaded that if men under this hand of God would quietly lie down and humble themselves, they would find more peace and blessing from God with them in it than most people are aware of. But receiving discipline and correction is hard, and as a result I don't expect many to read my counsel with pleasure or a desire to take it. Having spoken about the broken man in this way in regards to his own self, I will now speak about how he stands in relation to his creditors. The next thing such a man should do is to follow the most honest way of dealing with his creditors, and I think it must be this. First, let him make known to them his financial situation in a timely manner, and along with this he should do these three things. One, let him wholeheartedly and with all sincerity ask them for forgiveness for the wrong he has done them. Second, let him offer them all, and I mean all that he has in the world. Let him hide nothing, but be willing to give them the shirt off his back. Don't even let him keep back a ring, a spoon, or anything from them. Third, if these first two steps won't satisfy them, then let him offer them his body to be under their authority, either to accept imprisonment at their pleasure or to be at their service, until he has made amends as they see fit, through labor and travel, only keeping something from his work for the support of his poor and distressed family, which is his responsibility to take care of. In this way he will make what amends he is able for the wrong he has done them in wasting and spending their estates. By doing this, he submits himself to God's discipline and commits himself to accept the position of his providence. 
Yes, by doing this, he places the fate of his present and future condition into the lap of his creditors and leaves the determination of it completely to the Lord in whatever way he inclines their hearts to act. Scripture The lot is cast into the lap, but the judgment thereof is of the Lord. Proverbs 16, verse 33 Whether that means to forgive him or accepting what he has with satisfaction or to place him under hardship according to the law, leave the determination entirely to God. Let the matter be what it will, and that man will have peace of mind afterward. Comforts amid these circumstances will be comforts which come with equity, justice, and responsibility, and they will mean more to him because they are more in line with godliness than comforts which accompany the fruits of injustice, fraudulency, and deceit. Besides, the sentence from his creditors is a way to engage God's favor, because when his ways are pleasing in his sight, he will cause the enemy to wish him well. Scripture I will cause the enemy to entreat thee well in the time of evil and in the time of affliction. Jeremiah 15 verse 11 When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Proverbs 16, verse 7. And surely, for a man to make restitution for wrongs he's committed, to the best of his ability with what he is, has, and enjoys in this world, is the best way a man can spend his time. But he who does otherwise lives in his sin. He willingly chooses a high estate, though not attained in God's way. But when God's will is that he drop to a low rank, he refuses God's providence. He desperately says in his heart and by his actions, I will be my own chooser and do things my own way, whatever the consequences. What you said is good and makes sense to me, but suppose Mr. Badman was here. Couldn't he object to what you said? Couldn't he say, go and teach your brothers who profess Christ this lesson, because they are as guilty as I am of manipulating situations to get what doesn't belong to them? I am inclined to think they are also guilty of what you call my dishonest way of breaking, and are also guilty of neglect in their calling, and live above their means. Besides that, the whole world knows they have the skill to plead for things by uniting simple ideas to create a complex idea that can't be questioned. And that's also the usual way they use to hide their linen, plates, jewels, and something, money and goods besides. It's as common as four eggs for a penny, and this way they appeal to men, corrupt their consciences, sin against their profession, and it's feared, fulfill their lusts in all this. I say, if Mr. Batman was here, he'd object in this way. What would you have to say to him? What would I say? I'd say I hope no good man, no man of good conscience, no man who either fears God or respects faith, and the peace of God's people, or the salvation of his own soul, would do such things. Perhaps there may be people who profess Christ to act like this. If men profess Christ and make their profession a stalking horse to lure their neighbors out of their estates, like Mr. Badman did when he wooed the woman who sorrowfully became his wife, who can stop it? The churches of old were pestered with such people, and so it's no surprise if such perilous, difficult times are true. 
But notice how the Apostle Paul words it. Scripture, you do wrong and defraud and do this to your brothers. Know ye not that the unjust shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not err, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6 verses 8 through 10 In the last days perilous times shall come, for there shall be men who are lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, evil speakers, disobedient to their parents, unthankful, impure, without natural affection, truce-breakers, false accusers, without temperance, without meekness, without goodness, traitors, rash, puffed up, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 5 None of the people who live in this way will be saved, nor will their profession deliver them from the disapproval of the godly once they show themselves to be such people. But we can't stop them from making a false profession. And how can we control whether or not men decide to assign themselves titles like holy ones, godly ones, zealous ones, self-denying ones, or any other such glorious title? And while they call themselves such names, they are the worst rogues partaking in all evil, sin, and wrongdoing imaginable. But who can stop it? True, they are a scandal to religion, a grief to the honest-hearted, an offense to the world, and a stumbling stone to the weak. These offenses have come, do come, and will come, no matter what all the world can do. But woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Matthew 18, verses 6 through 8. For this reason, let such professors be disowned by all true Christians, and let them be counted among those dishonorable men of the world because by their actions that's who they most resemble. They are Mr. Badman's kin, because they are ashamed to religion. I say these active, deceitful, rob-shop, pickpocket men are ashamed to religion, and men of true faith should be ashamed of them. God places such men as this among the fools of the world, and so let's not have Christians put them among those who are wise about heaven. Scripture as the partridge that steals that which she did not hatch, is he that gets riches and not with righteousness. In the midst of his days he shall leave them, and at his end shall be a fool. Jeremiah 17 verse 11 And the man we are discussing is one of these, and for that reason he must fall by this judgment. A professor of faith, and practices such wickedness as this, such a person isn't worthy to bear that name Christian any longer. We can talk to such a person, like the prophet spoke to the rebellious in the house of Israel, Go, serve ye each one his idols, if you will not hearken unto me, but do not pollute my holy name any longer with your gifts and with your idols. Ezekiel 20 verse 39 We should say, Go, professors, and stop professing faith in Christ unless you lead lives matching your profession. It's better for you to never profess than to make such a profession a false pretext 
concealing your real intentions to sin, deceit, the devil, and hell. The foundation and rules of Christianity allow no such thing. Receive us, says the Apostle Paul. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 2 This suggests that those who are guilty of wronging, corrupting, or defrauding anyone shouldn't be admitted to the fellowship of believers, nor should they be listed with believers. Men can't prove themselves fit for the kingdom of heaven or to be men of good conscience with all their rhetoric and eloquent speaking. Consider that godly plea of Samuel. Behold, here I am. Witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. If I have taken anyone's ox, or if I have taken anyone's ass, or if I have defrauded anyone, or if I have oppressed anyone, or if I have received a bribe from anyone to blind my eyes, I will restore it to you. 1 Samuel 12, verse 3. This was certainly the behavior of a man of good conscience. He was so justified in his appeal that in the conscience of the whole congregation they were united, and with one voice they broke out and said, Thou hast not defrauded us, nor oppressed us. 1 Samuel 12, verse 4. If a professor defrauds, away with him. A professor of Christ shouldn't owe anyone anything but love. A professor of Christ should provide things, not from other men's belongings or property, but from his own honest acquisitions, and to do so not only in the sight of God, but also in the sight of all men, so he can enhance the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. But suppose God strikes a professor's circumstances, and is tried and his supplies run out before he's aware of it. Must he be viewed to be like Mr. Batman and fall under the same reproach as him? No, not if he's dutifully done all he could to avoid it. It is possible for a ship to sink at sea even under the hand of the most faithful and skillful pilots under heaven. And in this way, I suppose, it was with the prophet who left his wife in debt and his children in danger of being enslaved by the creditors. Scripture Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried unto Elisha, saying, Thy slave, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy slave feared the Lord, and the creditor is come to take my two sons to be his slaves. Second Kings 4 verse 1 Her husband wasn't one to squander or defraud, because the scripture says he feared the Lord. But like I said, his means ran out, and she didn't have enough to pay the debt. If God causes a man to take a loss, who can help it? Scripture, you look for much and find little, and when you lock it up at home, I shall blow upon it. Why, said the Lord God of hosts, because my house is deserted, and you run each one of you unto his own house. Haggai 1 verse 9 Sometimes he does so because he changes how he deals with us and tries friendships. While this is true, he also overthrows the wicked with his judgments. All these things are seen in Job, but people should take all of this into consideration and take care to deal honestly for fear they will suffer such things for their sin. 
it should also warn them to be careful about sliding further into the world through means of little merit rather than in an honest way. Rather, let them make their retreat in a godly way, because the further into the world's way they go, the greater the fall. It should also teach them to beg God's blessing on their efforts, their honest and lawful efforts, and it should cause them to diligently look at what steps they take so if they hear the ice crack beneath their feet, they can judiciously step back again. With all these things considered and duly put into practice, if God causes a man to experience loss, then let him be content and along with Job embrace the dunghill. Let him pay what he owes and not fight against the providence of God, but rather humble himself under his mighty hand, which comes to strip him naked and bare. He who does otherwise fights against God and declares that he is unacquainted with Paul's experience. Scripture, I know both how to be humbled and I know how to have an abundance. In everything and by all things I am instructed, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Philippians 4 verse 12 Well, I don't believe Mr. Batman made a distinction between things devised and those that come by necessity. If he didn't, God will through conscience, not just your own conscience, but the consciences of all those who have seen the way and known the truth of the condition of such a person. Well, let's move on and leave this matter and return to the topic of Mr. Badman again. Very well. I'll proceed with all my heart to relate to you in a methodical manner what hasn't yet been told about his life in relation to our conversation about his death. 